How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? Been going pretty good. Uh, I'm looking forward to coming back to the island this week, though. I heard that you're coming back to the island. I heard you're coming back to the island. Now, I know our listeners might be interested to know, how long are you going to be back on the island for? Uh, we're aiming for two weeks. So we're flying in on the 23rd, probably driving out around uh, the 6th or so. Okay, that wouldn't be too bad. Now, is it safe to say, Tim, that you yourself might be driving back? I hope to God, no. Just because I finally got my L after 12 years in two provinces. I was going to say, I was going to say, I saw your Facebook post there the other day, and I was just like, oh, good God, he just got his license. Well, it's like, honestly, outside of maybe the two years in Duncan, I never really needed it. That is fair. That is fair. I mean, I guess if you live your whole life in big cities like Toronto, Ottawa, Calgary, and Victoria, I mean, you really don't need a car. Unless, no. you, unless you live out really in the burbs. But, I mean, you could still get out to downtown from, you know, Langford, Souk, wherever. Well, the thing is, I've always either lived downtown or really close to transit. So, like, even in Tor- actually, Toronto is probably one of the cooler places I lived. Uh, I lived in a... If anyone knows Toronto, I lived on uh, in Bloor West, and at that part, it's just past uh, Hyde Park. You've got a lot of little shops, like, and there was like a local butcher, uh, a bunch of bodegas, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're right by Runabout and Jane Station for Line Two, so it was just really easy for me to pop to the university, just hop on the TTC, and there's there's several stations in U of T. Right. And one that was only a block from most of my classes, so I could do that, then come home, get groceries and fresh produce on the way home. Solid. Yeah, so it's like I really didn't need a car, especially if it's just Chelsea and I. Fair enough, fair enough. But it's going to be nice to have. Oh yeah, it'll be really nice to have, though. (laughs) So Tim, let's talk about today's episode, because today's episode is our top five Ottawa Senators that belong in the Ring of Honor. Now, before we go into honorable mentions and talk about the top five itself, let's talk about the Ring of Honor, because the Ring of Honor was in, introduced in 2017. Now, at the time of this recording, the late Brian Murray is the only member of the Ottawa Senators in the Ring of Honor. Now, one thing that I actually wanted to bring up with you, Tim, given the attendance problems that Ottawa has had, I'm actually really surprised they haven't used the Ring of Honor trying to boost up the attendance at times. Uh, I guess one of the things is it's, the Ring of Honor is really obscure because uh, I have to admit, uh, the only things I found about the Ring of Honor, like it's not mentioned on the website at all. The only thing I was able to find about it was Brian Murray was inducted to it. Yeah, that was true. Like he was inducted and then it was just like nothing. Yeah, and it's, it's bizarre because it is a good idea and it's a good way to uh, really be able to honor past senators, past members of the organization, and past people close to the organization. Exactly, and especially with, you know, an older generation of Senators fans now bringing a new generation of Sens fans into the building, I think it's a great idea because, A, you get the you get to talk about how great these guys were, but also with the wave of nostalgia, you could really go back to a time when the Senators were both, A, competitive, but B, beloved by the people of Ottawa. And I think uh, one thing it really helps as well is uh, it allows for kind of a common touchstone for all Senators fans. 
So you kind of, everyone knows kind of what the main beats of the story are, uh, even if they're like a fan that's been here since 92 or someone who's just started watching like a year ago. It really helps build kind of a narrative around the team and a bit of permanence. Yeah, and especially nowadays with the, you know, the worst-kept secret in hockey that the Ottawa Senators are bringing back the 2D logo. Oh, hell yeah. Actually, do you want to talk about that a little bit first, or... Sure, we can talk... Do you want to maybe do that for a different episode? Um, yeah, you know what? Yeah, we can say that for another episode, because we've got a whole episode we still got to talk about. Now, let's talk a little bit about honorable mentions, because one thing that I really noticed putting this episode together, Tim, was the the overwhelming amount of people that could realistically get into the ring of honor. And believe me, it was really tough trying to get it down to five. We could have done just a top 10 and there still would have been, well, what about this guy, this guy, this guy, or this guy. So I'm going to pull back the kayfabe a little here. Uh, You've got five honorable mentions. I've got two more because I agree with pretty much all yours too. I think I agree with all of them actually. And then, we have different people in our top five as well, and that just goes to show just how diverse and full of class the Senators organization has managed to be, uh, with some unfortunate exceptions. For sure, man. So I'll talk a little bit about my honorable mentions, because as you said, I've got about five names here on the list. Now, starting off my honorable mentions, now I know this is one that some Sens fans might scoff at nowadays, given the playoff losses to the Maple Leafs, as well as him not taking the team to the finals. However, despite that, I still think he's the best head coach in team history, and he was the guy that guided them through the expansion years into a long-time playoff team, and that, of course, is Jacques Martin. So at the time of this, record- at the time of this recording, Jacques Martin is both the winningest head coach in the regular season and playoffs with 141 and 31 wins, respectively. His tenure with the Senators saw the Sens have a bunch of firsts. He was there when the team first made the playoffs in 1987, when we upset the New Jersey Devils to win our first playoff series in 1998, we won our first division title, and then we won the President's Trophy in 2003. The only thing he didn't do in that 2003 season was win the Stanley Cup. And I know a lot of fans, when you talk about the years the Sens should have won the Cup, that's one that always gets brought up. Yeah, and it's... It's tough because hockey is a game of inches and it's a game of luck, so it very easily could have gone the other way. Yeah, fucking Jeff Friesen, bastard. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, Jacques Martin is, uh, he really guided the sense through those early years and uh, the fact that he's had such longevity both as uh, as a coach or as an assistant coach here in Pit- there in Pittsburgh uh, really just goes to show just how good of a coach he is. For sure. And the one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize nowadays is that the early 2000 Senator teams were always known as the high-flying offensive team, which is really funny because it was in stark contrast to Jacques Martin's coaching style, which was more defensive-minded. That's depth the flexibility of Jacques Martin, where he was given a very offensively gifted team. Yeah, but we also can't forget that not only was, but even when he first came in in 96, I mean, he really didn't have the most talent around him. I mean, he had Alfie in his rookie year. Yashin sort of came back. Dag was injured. But then a few years down the road, that's when Marion Hosta came into the picture. Wade Redden came into the picture. So Daniel Chara, Patrick Laleem. You, you know, you get these guys. Spezza, yeah. Spezza, yeah. You get those guys around him. 
and it really transformed into a good team. Mm. And that was amazingly fun to watch at the time. So my next honorable mention here, and I, I know listeners might think I'm a bit biased here, given that we did have him back on the pod. We had him on the podcast earlier in June, and that, of course, is the Dr. Bruce Firestone. But however, I think the reason why I'm choosing Bruce is not just because we had him on the podcast, but because my appreciation for him and his the contributions that he brought to the Ottawa Senators in the late 80s, early 90s to get Ottawa that team, I think greatly increased my appreciation, but my respect for him. Now, the one thing is, despite him not being involved with the team since 1993, his efforts alone to getting us the Ottawa Senators should get him an induction into the ring of all. Well, just think of the crap he had to deal with, like especially with the Ontario government kind of like trying to stop him at every turn. And, you know, speaking about that, I don't know if you read that Bob Ray, I think, got elected to... Appointed. Oh, he got appointed. Okay, what was it again? I can't remember off the top of my head, Tim. Uh, I want to say it was UN Ambassador, but I'll have to check that. But uh, Bob, Bob Ray is interesting because he's just been in and around politics, and uh, he may still be one of the most hated men in Ontario. Crazy. Yeah, just because uh, that NDP government didn't get the message that, uh, yeah, he was appointed to the UN. Oh, okay. Now, yes. I know that... And you know, Tim, I know when we talked with Bruce back in June, the subject about a Ring of Honor induction was brought up. And I know that he said that it's not up to him whether he's inducted or not. But I get a real sense listening back to that, that while he he knows it's not up to him, but I think there's an appreciation and I'm sure he would love to be inducted into the Ring of Honor. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. As much as he says... Uh the two happiest days of being a sports team owner are the day that you acquire the team and the day that you're finally not responsible for it. But such a, it's a big part of his legacy, right? So I have to imagine that uh, being recognized as one of the leading forces to bring the Senators to Ottawa and all the crap he had to put up with is must feel good to be recognized for that. So my next honorable mention, now I know more more younger Senators fans would know him from the Bonks Mullet Twitter account. Older fans will always have a soft spot for him, given that he was the team's number one center for a couple of seasons. And overall, he was one of the more complete forwards in the NHL. And that, of course, is Ronnie Bonk. Now, Bonk actually had a very interesting career with the Senators. He was a guy who was drafted top three. He didn't put up eye-popping numbers, was often criticized by the media for his lack of aggression despite his size. I mean, kind of like, I don't know, Logan Brown, I guess, nowadays, if you want to point him out. (laughs) And it did take Radek Bonk a few years to really blossom in the NHL. Now, I know that some listeners would probably disagree with me putting him in the honorable mentions, given that he is currently sixth in all-time scoring. But with the number of players and people that could have been inducted, I just kind of feel he gets lost in the mix a little bit. But here's one thing I actually wanted to bring up with you. Because, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen our star players, whether it be Danny Heatley or Kyle Turris, is that they had great success with the Senators, but once we traded them, they fell off. And now there's an argument that can be that Radek Bonk actually was the first Sen star that fell off after leaving the Senators. Yeah, because he ended up in Montreal and just not doing a lot, right? Yep. He ended up in Montreal, then played in Nashville a couple of seasons, and then whatever played in the Czech Republic. Yeah. 
it's a shame because guy had a cool mullet and he was really talented. And uh, one thing I do appreciate is that he was willing to come back to Ottawa for that alumni game. And the fact, well, he still lives in Ottawa too. I think he moved back after his career because from what I understand, he teaches, not teaches, he coaches his son's minor hockey team, but also he plays in a beer league in Ottawa too. He plays in a beer league. That's amazing. <laughs> I was thinking about that. Could you imagine you go out to play rack hockey on a Wednesday night at midnight and Radic Bonk is sitting next to you? You're like, oh my God, that's Radic Bonk. Uh, Doug Bodger used to do that. I'm not sure if he still does or not. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah, I know, uh, I forget who was telling me. I think it was, uh, one of our friends who, uh, played rep hockey. They'd sometimes get extra games, uh, just playing beer league against older guys. And, uh, Doug Bodger would show up and kind of walk him through the steps of it. Solid. So this next person, I know I'm going to get some serious, serious heat for this. No, but not for putting him in, but not only not because I didn't put him in the top five, but because he's still an active player. This is the only reason I put him in the honorable mentions. And that, of course, Craig Anderson. I'm, now, look, what can I say about Andy? Most games played as a Sens goalie. Most wins at 202. Best save percentage for a Sens goalie who played more than 80 games. And this is also one that I really debated whether I should put Patrick Laleem on this list too. But I feel that I think over time as more younger and younger goalies come in and those stats start really piling up, I think Laleem kind of will get lost in the shuffle a little bit. That's true. And I think the other thing is the legend of Craig Anderson, I think will be a touchstone for senators for years to come, especially with uh, Nicole Anderson, uh, beating cancer and Craig Anderson coming back, posting an amazing shutout and then leading the Senators to a game within a game of the Stanley cup finals. And we also can't forget about the crap that he put up with, with the Sens, whether it was guys like Andrew Hammond coming in, trying to take his job or the Sens wanted to put Robin Leonard over or Ben Bishop coming in, trying to take his job. And he was just a workhorse for that team. He was not flashy. He was not, you know, he wasn't a guy who's going to make the, big highlight real saves, but he was such a solid goaltender for us, and that's why he got to 202 wins. Exactly. I like Craig Anderson, and I don't know, it's tough, because it, like he's someone I'd probably include in my top five as well, but I just, yeah, I just felt there was a lot of other really good names. Yeah, Although like it, it's actually surprising, you, you do have one active player in your top five. That is true. However, the only reason I included him and not Andy is because that player is not currently active with the Sens. That's fair. Yeah. I think I'd put a... You know, I, I think Craig Anderson will definitely make it if they decide to use this thing. You know what? It's not a if, it's more of a when. And there's a number of players on this list, and that statement definitely applies to them as well. Oh, yeah. So my next guy, and, you know, for some of these top fives we've done, Tim... You know that I like to kind of bend the rules and add duplicates. Now, you can go back to the top five greatest centers of the 2010s list when I put Pajot and Mark Stone together. That was bullshit. I explained my reasoning, though. I explained my reasoning. Now, this is a guy that if we were doing duplicates, he would have shared the number one spot. And I would have put him in the top five, but... I know a lot of people would probably disagree with this. Danny Healy. 
Now, given that it has been 11 years since Keatley was traded to the Sharks, I do think it's time to forgive and move on. And I don't know how the fans will react to a Heatley return, given how deep that wound is. But you know what? I think if you were to just isolate Heatley's four seasons in Ottawa, there's a legit argument he was one of the best goal scorers we've ever had. Think about it. I mean, back-to-back I 50. Entirely. He had a 40. And he, he actually, he came closer to having back-to-back 40 goal seasons. He was with us four seasons, and he almost had 200 goals. Yeah, I think one of the things that definitely does hurt Heatley is just the way he left and that he hasn't spent a lot of time around the Senators since. I think that before I put him on like a top list of people they should include with this honor he needs to kind of come back and spend some time with the team, a la Alexi Ashen. That's true, that's true, but you know what, and I think... Looking back when we talked to Ian Mendes last year, or, yeah, it was last year, one thing that Ian even mentioned was that he often feels whether the Heatley debacle, there should be an omnation on that because you saw how guys like Mike Hoffman left. You saw how some of these other star players we've had left in such a bitter, bitter way. Yeah. Does that really give Heatley an omnition at that point? I think it makes it look a little better. That's for sure. I think Jason Spezza handled his his exit with a lot more grace. He did, but I think that was a whole different situation where Heatley demanded a trade and the fans just pushed Spezza out the door. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So my final honorable mention, and you know what, Tim? This one kills me. Because I will maintain... And I will go to my grave saying this, that he was the best second-line center in the history of the Ottawa Senators, Mike Fisher. One of my all-time favorite sends. The guy just worked his ass off every night, would throw his weight around when he needed to, a, con- a constant pro. And when I get to my third pick on the top five, it will make kind of make sense why I left him off. But uh, okay. in doing this, the one reason I actually legitimately thought of putting him at number three instead of the guy number three, he married Carrie Underwood. <laughs> okay. First of all, let me just say this. I did not know who Carrie Underwood was before she married Mike Fisher. Wasn't she the queen of country at that point? Well, keep in mind, I, didn't listen, I don't listen to country, right? So I didn't watch American Idol. I wasn't really following the NFL at that point because I think she was dating Tony Romo, too, at one time. Damn, he beat out Tony Romo? Yes, he did. He beat out Tony Romo. Oh, wow. Well, Romo didn't do too bad for himself. He ended up with Jessica Simpson, too, so. I mean, true. Tony Romo's a hell of a guy. He's a hell of a guy. But you know what? Still, this one just kills me, man. Like, I love Mike Fisher. He was one of my favorite guys I got the fist bump when he came off the ice at the alumni game. Ice. And, you know, you know, I'm sticking with this because my number three pick will make sense. Okay. And then I think with my two honorable mentions, I, I think one of the big things that uh, you're going to kind of see from some of mine are there's an attention to community service. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is Kyle Turris. And uh, in a short time in Ottawa, he had a 
massive impact on the special needs community, uh, especially through the Capital City Condors. Uh, man scores a game-winning goal, and I think it was double overtime. Gets changed into suit and raises it, makes it time, makes it in time for their charity dinner. He set up a golf classic to fund this group on, on and off the ice. And not to mention, Turris was an instrumental part of many good Ottawa Senators teams, including the team that went to the was one goal away from the Stanley Cup Finals. And he was a guy that I remember when Ottawa traded for him. The fans were kind of split about that because I remember David Runblad was sort of an up-and-coming defenseman and the fans were kind of high on him. But I, I remember hearing that and thinking, this is totally going to work out for Ottawa because we already had Spezza and we had Fisher at one and two. So Turris wasn't going to be thrust into that number one role right away like he was in Arizona. And I figured if you give him time, you let him gain some confidence back, he's going to develop into our number one center. Honestly, I... I remember seeing the logic of the trade, and I'm glad it worked out. Kyle Turris has been an amazing part of just the lore of Ottawa. Um, and he still comes back and uh, works with the Condors every so often. My second pick, another member of the 1989 to team that brought the Senators to Ottawa, Zero Leader. Now, Zero Leader... He outlasted his boss uh, for a number of years in the Senators organization, and uh, I think he did a very good job of guiding the Senators off the ice. Create the Capital City Cup, which is uh, one of the biggest uh, young minor hockey tournaments in Canada and the world. And on top of that, he was also in charge of building the Sens Plex and many of the Sens charitable functions through the Senators Foundation. Uh, Serial Leader was an instrumental part of the team, and I hope he gets that recognition in the Ring of Honor. So, Tim, are you ready to get into the top five oh, sends? He even found his boss a kidney. That's like, just cold. Oh, like Serial Leader, the man did everything he could for the Ottawa Senders, and he deserves to be honored for it. No, I'm just saying that's cold because. Leader found Melnick a kidney and kit, and he still threw him out on his ass. I mean, fair, but we're talking about the good work for the senders and the community that Serial Leader did. Fair enough. So, Tim, let's get into the top five sends that belong in the Ring of Honor. Now, I'm going to start off with my number five pick. Now, this is going to come as a surprise to a younger generation of fans who only knew him for his time with the Blackhawks, but I feel that it's appropriate given that he was the first Sens drafted player and developed to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame for 2020, Marin Hossa. I will say, in my pre-Sens fandom days, Marin Hossa was actually my favorite Ottawa center. As a kid, I actually had, if you remember those old, um, they were the McFarlane figures. Oh, Yeah. So I actually had one of those. I had the Marin Hossa Sens one with the white jersey. Now, the one sitting on my desk is the red jersey, and I actually found out that's actually the more rare of the two, is the red is jersey. That? The white one was the more common one. Is, well, the red one's the alternate jersey at that point, if I remember correctly. No, uh, actually, uh, no, the red one was the away jersey. Oh, right, I forgot. Yeah, because the alternative the was the black switch. one. Yeah. Uh, is that the one that you ended up finding down in Victoria? Yep. Oh, sick. Yeah. Glad I helped out. Yeah, there you go, Tim. 
And, you know, it's, it's actually kind of funny. When I was looking back on this, I should have known. I should have seen this as foreshadowing to what was to come for the next 15 years. When I became a fan of the Ottawa Senators, they traded him to Atlanta. <laughs> I should have taken that as an omen that as soon as I became a Sens fan, my favorite player was going to be dealt in the town. Yeah, the way she goes, eh? Now, I'm only putting him at number five due to the fact that most of his success he had, both stats-wise and team-wise, came after he departed the Senators. But Hosa is actually a very interesting figure in Sens history because he was one of the first first-rounders that skyrocketed to become a star on the cusp of becoming a superstar. Now, for a younger generation, a very good comparable is Mika Zibanejad, was that you can kind of tell that he was turning into a star, maybe... But I don't think a lot of us saw him really on the cusp of being a superstar. But Hosa put up really good numbers in Ottawa. And because of him, in a roundabout way, Ottawa formed the cash line with his trade to Atlanta. Well, that's not even roundabout. That's just how it happened. So I'm really happy at number five. And I'm sticking with that, Tim. Yeah, so mine are in no particular order. So I'm just going to kind of present them as... Alternating off with Tay, then uh, when we agree on one, I'll just note. So the first on my list, in no particular order, is former senator and former assistant coach and head coach of the Binghamton Senators, Luke Richardson. Now, behind the bench, uh, Luke Richardson saw a lot of success with the B sense and even got to coach one of the HL All-Star games. However, the reason that I have uh, Luke Richardson as someone who should be inducted into the Ring of Honor is that... He really rose from tragedy to have an impact on the entire NHL and something that is permeated and is a real success story, something that Ottawa can be very proud of. And uh, back in 2010, uh, tragically, uh, Luke Richardson's daughter claimed her own life. The Senators and Luke Richardson responded with the Do It For Darren campaign, which involved the Do It For Darren logo, Do It For Darren games, as well as, I, I remember correctly, there were custom jerseys and uh, donations to uh, the kids' helpline and anti-bullying programs. Yeah, I, and I can't... anti-suicide programs. So this is a very, very major contributions that started among the Ottawa centers and then permeated throughout the league. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I think they did. I think they had custom jerseys for the pre-game, but... When the game actually started, they went back to their regular yeah. Reds. <coughs> yes, so Do It For Darren Knights are now a regular part of the NHL season in many NHL cities. And it's amazing that Luke Richardson was able to, like, after experiencing something that probably one of the most horrific, probably the most horrific tragedy any parent could experience and being able to create a force of good out of it. Yeah, and I think it's very honorable that the Richardson family took such a tragic and unfortunate circumstance in their family and turned it into something good. Yeah. So for that, I think Luke Richardson should be part of the Ottawa Senators' Ring of Honor. So for number four, Tim, now I know that you and I both have him on the list, so I figured it's best just to include him here at number four. And... As I was saying earlier, the term when, not if, is one that's going to apply for a number of players on this list. And this one definitely applies, given that before Eric Carlson came along, he was widely considered to be the best defenseman in our team's history. 
Wade Redden. A fan favorite throughout his tenure with the team, Redden was a staple on left-handed D, potting 10 goals or more in five seasons with a career high of 17 in 0304. Now, outside of Alexi Yashin, Redden really was the first high draft choice Ottawa had that made the most immediate impact. Now, that's an, there's an asterisk there because... Redden technically wasn't drafted by the Senators. He was drafted second by the Islanders, and then we swapped him in January of 96 for Brian Burrard. <laughs> the Senators have a history of just getting the better end of these draft pick swaps. Yeah, and we actually got a good one out of that because I think we got him, or we got Redden and Damian Rhodes out of that too. Oh, nice. Yeah. So the only blemish on his tenure in Ottawa, and it's really not a blemish on him personally. It's more a blemish on management. And that, of course, was choosing him over to Daniel Chara and then later watching him walk out the door two years later. But yeah. as I've mentioned on the podcast, it, I'm not really upset in retrospect because you could tell his play was really declining by the time that he walked out the door in 2008. I mean, hell, even in 2006-07, you can kind of tell that his play was kind of on a downturn. Yeah, it's definitely one of those hindsight things, for sure. But the other thing that Wade Redden was very, he was very involved with the Ottawa community uh, on top of being part of those, a core part of those Strong Sense teams. Uh, he did a lot of work with the 60, 65 Roses campaign, which is, which is working for raising money for research and treatment of cystic fibrosis. And this is another theme that a lot of senators, like the senators got themselves involved with, was terminally ill kids. So Wade Redden personally rented out a skybox in the Palladium, and I think the Corral Center, at the, what was, as it was called at the time, for terminally ill kids where he'd pay all the costs and let these kids watch games. And he called it Wade's World. I think he was doing that right up until he left in 2008, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did it pretty much the entire. He did it his entire tenure. Yeah, because if I, if I, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim, but I think he was doing it up until he left, and then Chris Neal, I want to say, took over, and yeah. or, or maybe Kyle Turris afterwards. I can't really crawl off the top of my head. Uh, Chris Neal, I think it's Chris Neal because Chris Neal, uh, he's on my list as well. Uh, was involved a lot with all the care for children with the Rogers House. So, Tim, let's move on to number three and yet another player you and I both have on the list. So I figured, you know what, let's just put this guy at number three. As you recall in my honorable mentions, I know a lot of people would have put Mike Fisher over this guy, and I wouldn't be that shocked about it. And that guy is Chris Neal. The thing is, Chris Neal has two things going for him over Mike Fisher. Number one, he did play his entire career for Ottawa. And two, the team changed once he arrived. Now, hear me out on this one, because you might be a little bit surprised. Because prior to Chris Neal arriving on the scene in 2001, the Senators were not exactly known to be the toughest team around, constantly getting pushed around by teams like Buffalo and Toronto. Chris Neal debatably changed that with his toughness, putting teams on notice that you weren't going to be able to push the Senators around anymore. In a similar effect when you see how Brady Tuchak is with the Senators today. Or hell, even a 2000, it's a 27, circa 2017 Chris Neal, where he played two minutes of a game and changed the whole game when he murdered a man. 
Now, the crazy thing about Chris Neal, and I know a lot of people would say, well, Tay, why are you putting a goon on this list? He's not a goon. He's not a goon. Because Chris Neal, in five seasons, had 10 or plus more goals with a career high of 33 points in 0506 when a younger tough guy came onto the team by the name of Brian McGratton, who took over that main role of enforcer, which it actually really helped Chris become more offensive-minded. I think when you watch Chris Neal in like 0506, 0607, you really saw that, wow, he's really not just a tough guy. This guy can actually put up some points as well. Yeah, and it was amazing. Like He had enough of the ability to put away goals from the net for presence that sometimes you could play them on uh, PP2 and get good results. Now, I know for other fans of teams, the one knock on Chris Neal is, even though even though his role with the setters was to protect the Eric Carlsons, the Daniel Alfredsons, the Jason Spezzas, he was also kind of known to take a shot at other team stars. Because if you remember in 2007, he was the reason and the cause for the Ottawa Buffalo brawl when he blindsided Chris Drury. Yeah. And Honestly. You, and you know the what's fact funny? that he was even kind of an important part of the, the big part of Senator's history is another reason we should put him in that ring. Exactly. And the funny thing is, is that if you go back and watch that brawl, that happened right after that hit. Because they... The hit happened, they got Drury off the ice, Chris Neal went in the box, they went to a face-off, and that's when Lindy Ruff sent out the Andrew Peters and all the other tough guys on the team, and yet Ottawa didn't put out guys like a Brian McGrath, because I don't know if McGrath was even in that game or not, but they did have Anton Volchenkov. And the one funny thing, I went back and rewatched that clip the other day, I always laugh. When I watch Mike Comrie in that, when uh, Volchankov jumps him, jumps the other guy, because you just see Comrie with his hands on him, like, oh my god, what's going on? The, the thing that I remember from that fight is definitely the happy warrior, Ray Emery. Oh my god, that... Uh, he's just smiling after he beats the crap of Marty, beats the crap out of Marty Biron, and then, uh, it wasn't, he pulled in, I think it was Patrick Coletta. No, and uh, like, Andrew Peters. Oh, Angie Peters, and is beating the crap out of him in goalie gear. Yeah. Uh, actually, speaking of Ray Emery, can we give him a quick shout-out, given that two years ago last Wednesday would be the two-year anniversary of his passing? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. That's, That's hard definitely to... a player who uh, was able to rehabilitate their career, and they won a Stanley Cup. So, like, Ray Emery, is, I think, will hold a special place in the hearts of Ottawa Senators, and I think... Uh, the Ottawa Senators fans, and I would actually say even before he passed, his uh, reputation among Sens fans was mostly rehabilitated. I would say so, but I think the fans still had the thing, still had that feeling in the back of their minds of how he left. But I think all kind of was forgiven once you saw him really put in the effort to come back. And Ian Mendez mentioned that on the podcast. And... I think Ray Emery will now be seen more in a positive light, given he did pass away. Mm-hmm. Now, last thing I want to say about Chris Neal, I want to give bonus marks for him teaming up with Anton Volchenkov to, to form the Bruce Brothers. <laughs> well, another thing that I do want to mention about Chris Neal, and I kind of touched on either he, him, Chris and his wife are honorary members of the board of the Ro- of Rogers House, which is a palliative care center for children in Ottawa, and they help run a lot of the fundra- 
fundraisers for uh, the Rogers House as well. And uh, it's interesting because they uh, specifically said, oh, people always come up and talk to us, like, oh, how do you do something so depressing, like dying kids? And like, no, these kids are, like, they know that they're not going to be around much longer, so they're trying to make the most of their life. And uh, just the sheer joy on that these kids exhibit when fighting through quite literally the most horrifying things is inspiring. So, Tim, for the number two slot, I'm going to let you go. Who do you have at number two? I have Mark Borowiecki. Oh, Borokov. I like it. Yeah, so Mark Borowiecki is definitely part of the heart and soul of the Ottawa Senators, but and there's just so much about him inside the Senators and outside. There's just almost too much to talk about, uh, be it from stopping actual crime earlier this year in, in Borokov, to uh, his work with the Condors, specifically with uh, children with very severe movement disabilities. Uh, a lot of rinks wouldn't allow these sorts of children onto the ice because the apparatus required to help them skate, I think it's called a flyer, is a very heavy metal frame. And it does do damage to the ice. And uh, Borowiecki really pushed the issue to, to help get these kids able to play hockey. Or at least skate. And Mark Borowiecki has really taken a bigger role with the Condors. Both him and Mike Tur- sorry, Kyle Turris were both very invo- involved with the Condors organization. And uh, one thing that I think you can always trust Mark Borowiecki for inside is he's kind of a good barometer of the feeling it's of the Senators. And he can always, he's really good at putting a smile on people's faces and, uh, I always look forward to when Mark Borowiecki gets a goal or an assist because you know he's going to be interviewed in between the periods. And unlike a lot of players where you get generic sports interview because they've just busted their butts for 20 minutes, usually Mark Borowiecki is very present in those interviews and you usually get a a few good cracks in. Yeah, and by good cracks, I'm not talking about uh, doming Jamie McClendon with a stick. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, uh, no, and I think Mark Borowiecki will continue to be a big part of the Ottawa Senators community and the broader Ottawa community. Like, even as he retires, even now he's uh, one of the, probably one of the top proponents for LGBT issues on the Senators, both him and Andrews Nielsen. And he's absolutely adored. Pretty much any Sens fans meet. And, yeah, I think uh, he's... It's not it. It's when, not if, for Mark Borowiecki. So for my number two pick here, Tim, and I know if we were to do this list five to ten years ago, this guy unanimously across the board, it would have been a hard no. However, given that it has been 20 years since his departure and the fact that he still ranks fourth in all-time scoring after all of these years speaks to how great of a player he was in Ottawa. Alexi Yashin. I think the hard thing for Yashin is going to be the National Art Center debacle. But here's the thing. That was rough. It was rough. But you know what? Yashin induction, if you really look at the big picture, is a no-brainer marketing-wise. He was the first marquee player the Sens had. His numbers, when you really consider that Ottawa wasn't completely loaded with talent, as you would see in the mid-2000s, is actually more impressive. 
Now, despite how he left, his departure actually served quite a bit of good for the team. Not only because we were able to land Daniel Chara and the second overall pick to land Jason Spezza, but also with his holdout in the 99-2000 season, Daniel Offerson would have never became captain. I mean, that's fair. I just beat it. I, I actually don't know enough about the Ottawa Senators' history to comment how the NAC debacle just ever, if there was ever an apology for that. From what I understand, because I don't believe there was. I think that's a prerequisite. Just because uh, if you're going to pledge that you're donating a million dollars to the arts community with the rider of you'll pay me 500000 pay my parents $500,000, that's, that's not going to look good. No, it doesn't. But you know what, though? I think if you induct him, how many younger fans do you think really would know that? If you really think about Alexi Yashin, you were more likely to talk about his play on the ice more than what happened with the NCC because when you look at the stuff that actually overshadowed that, more so of the contract disputes and the holdouts with the Senators. Oh, yeah. But I think it was just like a quick, yeah, what a, yeah I recognize that it wasn't the best idea and I apologize. Yeah, induct him away. Yeah. And- I think that apology needs to come if it hasn't come already. And Yashin in 2020 is actually seen in such a different light with the departures of Danny Heatley. And we actually talked about this with Ian Mendez, of course, when we talked to him. And we said that, you know, at the time healed that wound, he didn't know about the Danny Heatley one. But the one thing is, unlike Danny Heatley, Alexa Yashin was officially welcomed back to the team and is now in good That's graces true. with him. Because he was at the alumni game, which, by the way, I got to fist bump him as well when he got the ice. And I will like, and I'm happy to announce, he was wearing the turtleneck. Yeah, and I think the fact that he is in the team's good graces would be, would be more likely for him to be inducted into to the ring of honor because, like, I think it's water under the bridge at this point, I guess. For me, it's just that honoring someone who hasn't apologized for that sort of thing does sit a little off with me, but I could, I could live with that. No, I totally see where you're going with that, Tim. But like I said, right, I mean, I think when fans really look at Alexi Yashin's time in Ottawa, that's not exactly something that would probably come up. That's fair, that's fair. And now we've come to the number one pick for the top five sends that belong in the Ring of Honor. Now, of course, you and I both have him on this list. And... When we're talking about the greatest Senators of all time, especially during the glory years of 05-06-06-07, many names are brought up. You know, your Danny Heatleys, your Wade Reddens, your Daniel Offertons, your Ray Emerys. And it's actually really funny and kind of sad in a way because maybe this is just me, but I feel this player 100% will always kind of be overshadowed by the fact that he had all that talent around him. And that was Jason Spezza. Second in all-time scoring. He led the team in scoring twice. And was named captain. But the one thing is that Spezza's tenure in Ottawa, I actually disagree, I actually argue this, was a little underappreciated until he departed in 2014. It really was. And, you know, and I will personally admit that I am actually a part of that camp of underappreciating Jason Spezza because... 
like Kyle Turris, I liked him as a player, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself a fan. Nothing against the guy. He was a great player, but he's not my first guy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out and buy his jersey, rep him, whatever. My main criticism of Spezza during his time in Ottawa was the fact he rarely shot the puck. And it's funny because when he played for the Mississauga Ice Dogs, Don Cherry said the same thing about him. I appreciate that, but one thing I also will defend is Spezza was a passing master. Like, he also had a really good shot. That There's no denying that. But his first pass ability, and honestly, the no-look drop pass worked more often than it didn't. It did. And, you know, you're talking about the fact he can't shoot. I mean, he had a 30-goal season. The season that he led the team in scoring, he had 32, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody somebody out there could probably, uh, you know, can't quote me on that, but you could probably argue with that. Um, I actually want to talk with you about one thing, and that was Jason Spezza's lone year as captain. That was just, I don't know about you, I just thought seeing Jason Spezza with the captaincy was really odd-looking. And I think that many fans weren't on board with it, partly because of the fact that it was so soon after Daniel Offerson departed, but also because it delayed the inevitable of Eric Carlson becoming the captain as well. Yeah, but at the same time, at the time, it felt right. And I was very happy to see Jason Spezza be captain because I, I count myself as a Jason Spezza fan. I loved everything he did. And between his, like, the undeniable skill on the ice and his initiatives in schools off the ice, uh, leading, like, for Spezza, an Ottawa-wide spelling bee, and being a frequent participant in uh, the Spartacat Reads program in Ottawa, it's just, I think it's awesome when you have uh, someone, like, one of the most talented players on your team, like, probably one of the more accessible role models and he's sending that stay in school message and that learning is fun. And I think that's just one thing that being a Spezza fan was the, the guy is just wholesome fun. Uh, even like in some of the interviews he's done with the Bay police where uh, he's just like, yeah, you know, I do. And like, he's obviously just screwing around at this interview and it's, he's having a great time. And every time you hear the Spezza laugh, you know, it's just, he's having a blast and it's just written all over his face. You know, what's funny when I was thinking about Jason Spezza doing this list, there's one moment that actually comes to mind and I can't find it on YouTube anywhere. Do you remember 2008 or no, it was uh, 2009. Sorry. Matt Sundin as a Vancouver Canuck came to Ottawa for the first time. I remember that game, but I don't remember what happened. Okay, so the day, or sorry, that night that Matt Sundin played his first game against the Senators as a Canuck, U.S. President Barack Obama was in town. And so they had the, you know, the the car barricades and whatever that were traveling him around the city. And Jason Spezza did um, an afternoon interview with the press, and he was talking about that, and he goes... You know, uh, yeah, I saw all the cop cards and everything, and I was like, you know, geez, I didn't realize that Mass was so popular here in town. 
so good about taking his jabs too by his teammates because going back to Mike Fisher there was a there was a fundraiser for the team where you know you could raise a lot of money to have dinner with a player in the Sens now going back to Carrie Underwood Mike Fisher somebody fundraised like $17,000 to have dinner with him I think more because Carrie Underwood was going to be with him Jason Spezza came second at five grand and Chris Kelly the next day at the morning skate was talking to the press. It was like Brett Walsh or somebody he's talking about that. And he goes, man, who would spend five grand to have dinner with Spets? Like I'm his roommate on the road and even I don't spend five grand on him. <laughs> That's funny stuff. I love it, man. And I wish, I wish I could have found that on YouTube because I just, I thought it was great. Yeah, and it's it's a shame that uh, Spezza wasn't able to come back to Ottawa for one last year, but I really hope he comes back to Ottawa in a, like a coaching capacity because there is a lot of hockey IQ in that head. And I was actually going to talk about that because I feel that Senator fans really regret pushing him out the door in 2014. And if you recall last summer, there was many, many fans on social media that campaigned to have Jason Spezza return when he was a free agent last summer before he signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, and actually one thing that will that will forever annoy me is Mike Babcock not letting Spezza play the home open, Ottawa's home opener against Toronto. Yeah, but... That... But, but, but... Was shitty. Did or did he not lose his job a couple of months later? He did. That does not forgive that gutless shit. It doesn't. But that's karma. Exactly. It's karma in the way that if you recall when Kyle Turris was an Arizona Coyote or Phoenix Coyote at the time, it is excuse me, his rookie year, the Coyotes played a game in Vancouver. Kyle is from New Westminster. So his whole family drove into Vancouver for the game to watch him play. Oh, and Tippett benched him, didn't he? Wayne Gretzky scratched him. Right, it was Wayne Gretzky. Man, Wayne Gretzky was an awful coach. Yeah, George LaRock talked about that in his book. Like, he just said, like, he was one of the worst head coaches he ever did. Like, there was no strategy. He wasn't even there half the time because he was doing some sort of, uh, you know, something he was doing off the ice. So, really, the players were just left to their own devices. Yeah, and, like, he's never, well, after the gambling saga, he's, probably never getting another head coaching job. But I don't think he actually wants to, though. Honestly, fair. Yeah, I mean, why, why not, right? Christ, he's, he's Wayne Gretzky. He can do whatever the hell he wants nowadays. Yeah, that's true. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up the top five sends that belong in the Ring of Honor. So, do you have any comments you want to make before we head off for the close for another episode? No, not really, yet. For folks who are listening to this, I'd be very happy to have people reach out to us on Twitter or via email or how you want to do that and just talk about senators that you want to honor and just some of your favorite memories as a senator because as a senators fan because this is a team where it's really easy to get lost in the negative and forget that there's been a lot of fun times in the 
the past 25 years, 25, 25, almost 30 now, 30 years of Senators fandom. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sanscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatWhiteGipster, G-R-8-W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to give your take on the top five sends that belong in the Ring of Honor, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsoundscast at gmail.com. Now, Tim, before we officially go into the close, we got to talk about our next episode because... Oh, it's, you've been working hard on this, sucker. It has. I have been working very hard on this. I am proud to announce our next episode. We are going to be looking at an Ottawa Senators trade tree. And it's one that we actually mentioned here on the episode today. Yeah. And I think it reaches right out to this day, too, eh? It does. I think it goes up until 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And that That's trade crazy. tree is Brian Burrard for Wade Redden. Oh, wow. But not only that, Tim, I'm proud to announce my co-host, Mr. Tim Jensen, will be in studio to do that episode with me. Yeah. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, are we going to record with face masks on? Ooh, we might have to. We might have to. I mean, unless we can get a hockey stick or something to socially distance six feet apart. <laughs> However, however, if there's no photo, then people might not believe us. That's true, that's uh, true. See, and I fucking over everybody a beer now because my phone went off. Great. All right. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Until next week, guys. Or sorry, until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go Sands, guys. <laughs>